Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. Today, I want to talk to you about the mindset of a winner from Isaiah 52, verse 2, when God speaks directly to us as people, shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem, free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. What a word for us from God. You know, the Bible is a timeless book, and whatever God said in the past, he says now, because it reveals to us the nature and the character of God, and God wants us to live our lives with the mindset of a winner. Whatever battle you may be going through or obstacle you're facing this year or problems you're trying to solve, the grace of God is powerful enough in you to reach your goals and overcome your problems. And let's learn from the Word of God today what we need to do to step into that mindset of a winner. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I know that's a healing Word for us, your people, and an encouraging Word. And I pray that you'll use the Word of God today to bring life and health to all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Michael Jordan, who is the greatest basketball player of all time, six-time NBA champion, once made the statement that I have missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to make the game-winning shot and have missed them. I failed over and over again, he said. And that's why I succeed. He had the mindset of a winner. The mindset of a winner is a person who can overcome their obstacles, win their battles, reach their goals, push through the pain until they gain victory. Jesus wants us to live with a winner's mentality. In fact, it's interesting in the New Testament that Christians are called overcomers. Overcomers. They have the obstacles, they have the problems, but they overcome them. They win that battle. They reach that goal. When Jesus spoke of the church, the only time he used the word in that sense, and the first time in Matthew 16, 18, he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wanted us to know that whatever attacks us in our ministry throughout history, the church will never fail. It's built on the rock of Christ. He knew we'd all go through trouble. He said in John 16, 33, right before he went to the cross, in this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Paul the apostle writes, even through all the persecutions that they went through in Romans 8 and 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What if we got up every morning and just said, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 said, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Even in the book of Revelation, I know it's a book of visions. He sees this vision of a great dragon, a type of Satan attacking the people of God. His rage and fury is great, the revelator said, but it's interesting how the people of God responded to that satanic attack. Revelation 12 and 10, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony. And you can solve those problems. You can overcome those obstacles. You can reach your goals by the power of the grace of God in your life. And I know some problems are difficult, and sometimes you're in a battle, and you feel like you're never going to win this battle, and sometimes you've lost it. You think, I'm just going to give up. But you can win those battles. But sometimes we feel like the group of young recruits in the Army. They were at boot camp, and the sergeant divided them up into two companies to be enemies as a mock battle. And they were given wooden rifles, and they were given fake weapons. They said, now, if you come upon the enemy, then all you've got to say is bang, bang, and you get victory for that. If that doesn't work, you can pretend you have a grenade and say, lob, lob. That'll take out a group of them. If you get into close combat, just say, stab, stab. And so they had the rules down, and they went into the maneuvers, and a young recruit finally came upon one of the enemy, snuck up on him, and said, bang, bang, and the man just stood there. He said, lob, lob, and the guy just stood there. He got close and said, stab, stab. The guy just stood there, and he said, hey, man, you're not playing by the rules. You're supposed to play dead. And the other soldier replied, rumble, rumble, I'm a tank. And I know that some of the issues we face in life, they linger. And sometimes you gain victory, and then you get defeated. But a winner's attitude, a winner's mindset is a belief that you can overcome your problems. You can overcome your obstacles. You can reach your goals. Greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. There's the God factor in your life. After all your strength and all your energy and all your talent, but God will give you what you need to overcome. And this is what the people of Israel needed because they were a very defeated and depressed people during the days of Isaiah. They went into Babylonian captivity. They were in a two-year war. The city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar carried people off into exile to serve in the kingdom of Babylon, left the land desolate. For 70 years, the people, the great people of God, were completely defeated by war and exiled. And God's people go through some difficult experiences. And yet after 70 years, the blessing of God came and they were freed from Babylon. They began to go home, not just to rebuild the city and the temple, but they needed to be rebuilt internally. You know, there's your life externally, but there's your life internally. And we do a lot of things. We build what's around us, but God's grace is the power to build what is within us. Their character needed to be rebuilt. Their belief in God, their belief in themselves, the belief that God had a purpose for their lives needed to be restored. And God spoke through the prophet Isaiah of how they could overcome. They could rise to become what he had meant for them to be. It's a beautiful challenge and promise of God to us in Isaiah 52 and 2. When God says, shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem, and free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Jerusalem. And the first thing that we all need to do is shake off our dust. I like how he personalizes it. Shake off your dust because the, the dust that you're carrying may not be the dust somebody else is carrying. Shake off your dust. What is the dust? Well, we know that those Hebrews came across the hot desert sands of Arabia from Babylon back home. So they had physical dust from the travel, but it was not that dust. It was the emotional and psychological dust that comes from suffering. For 70 years, they've been in captivity. They've been demoralized. And they had that dust, the emotional pain. You know, there's what happens to us, and then there's the way we feel about what happens to us. And even though the problem may be over, the suffering may be over, it can leave an indelible impression 
It can scar us. It can wound us. It can diminish our faith and our confidence. That's the dust he's talking about, the dust of human experience. You know, in the Bible, dust is associated with humanity. In Genesis 2 and 7, it says that God formed man from the dust of the ground. In Psalm 103, verse 2, the psalmist said, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us, because he remembers that we are but dust. Did you know that 75% of the dust in your house is comprised of human skin? Think about that when you're sweeping the floor, you're like sweeping yourself up. He says, shake off the dust. There's only one way to get rid of the dust, to shake it off. You've got to shake it off. You can't, you can't shake off what happened to you. You can shake off how you feel about what happened to you. You know, in the morning when we let our little dogs out, they shake. It's amazing to watch it, but sometimes we'll just laugh. And one morning, Barbie said, I wish I could shake like that every morning. They get up every morning with a good shake. I remember my mom used to take rugs outside and put them on a, a line and take a broom and just strike the rug. And dust would come flying out of it. And that's what God is saying. You've got to shake off the dust on your life. and You have the power to shake it off. Jesus used this same analogy when he told his disciples about their preaching. If they went to a town or village and the people rejected them, in Matthew 10 and 14, he says, shake the dust off your feet before you go to the next town. Shake the dust off. Don't get mad about it. Don't get angry about it. Shake the dust off. Leave that there. Leave the feelings there. Don't take that with you to the next town. Sometimes we go through hurt and we get angry, we're depressed, and then we find ourselves in a new opportunity. We take the emotion with us, and we ruin that. People get fired from a job. They go to a brand new job, and all they can do is talk about how bitter they were, and everybody hears how bitter they are, and it, it can even impede and impact the way that they are looked at in the next opportunity. People go through a painful relationship. They say, I'm never going to trust again. You're carrying the dust from that relationship into the next one. Jesus said, when you leave an experience of rejection, shake the dust off your feet so you can have a new beginning, a new opportunity, a new town, a new relationship, a new opportunity for your life. There's an interesting story about the apostle Paul when they were out traveling all over the world, preaching the gospel. He came into the region of Macedonia and he started off just preaching to a bunch of religious people. But religious people always have their mind made up about God. They're kind of like deeply political people. They already got their mind made up about everything. They had God in the box, and of course, he's preaching the gospel of grace, and they had a gospel of religion, and they didn't like it. Well, the Bible says in Acts 18 and 6, when they were abused him, he took off his coat and shook it in front of them and said, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'll go to people who listen to me. I think that'd be a great assignment from this message. If you're carrying some dust, maybe when you get home this afternoon, go take a coat and just shake it and see yourself shaking off the dust. Shake off the dust of anger. Shake off the dust of bitterness. Shake off the dust of criticism. Shake off the dust of defeat. Shake off the dust of emptiness. Shake off the dust of fear. Shake off the dust of guilt. Shake off the dust of hurt. Shake off the dust of injustice. Shake off the dust of judgment. 
Shake off the dust of loneliness. Shake off the dust of your mistakes. Shake off the dust of neglect. Shake off the dust of outrage. Shake off the dust of panic. Shake off the dust of quarrels. Shake off the dust of rejection. Shake off the dust of sadness. Shake off the dust of timidity. Shake off the dust of uncertainty. Shake off the dust of victimhood. Shake off the dust of worry. Shake off your dust. And then he says, rise up. And this is a word of resurrection. Rise up. Because they were knocked down. They were defeated. And God says, get back up. And experiences of life can be so painful at times that we're just knocked down. It's easy not to get up. Say, I just quit. And God says, rise up. Get up from where you are. My dad used to have the most irritating way of getting us up in the morning. He would, my brothers and I, we all lived upstairs. He would just stand at the bottom of the stairwell and you're sound asleep. And all you hear was, rise and shine. I used to ask him, please stop doing that. But he did it every morning. God says, rise up. Get up from where you are. You've been hurt. You've been defeated. Maybe you're feeling sorry for yourself. Feel like you're the only one going through it. But God says, rise up. Ephesians 5 and 14. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And Paul writes about his own desire in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. I love that. That one phrase has meant so much to me personally as a Christian. I want to know Jesus more fully. I want to be closer to him and understand his purpose for my life and submit to his will. I want to know Christ. But he doesn't stop there. And the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection in a person's life gives him the power to rise up. Maybe you've been defeated. Maybe you've been through failure. But God's message to you this year is rise up. There's a new place. There's a new level for you. In 1929, Rose Bowl, he Georgia Tech and the University of California. In the first half of the game, there was a player for the University of California named Roy Regals. He recovered a fumble and took off running with all of his might toward the end zone. The problem was he was going the wrong way. He was about to score a touchdown for Tech, and one of his own players had to chase him down and tackle him right before he got into the end zone. Of course, the whole place is laughing. He's humiliated, and he goes into the locker room at halftime. He's just so embarrassed by what he had done. And the coach had the game plan. He said, and Roy was going to start. He thought he'd take him out of the game. He put him in the starting lineup for the second half, and everybody got up to walk out, and he just sat down. He told the coach, I'm not going back out there. He said, I've embarrassed you, the university. I've humiliated myself. I cannot go back out there and face those people. And this coach said, Roy, get up. There's a second half of football to play. And he went back out there and played. And he was embarrassed, but he played anyway. He got up, and he became a football coach. In fact, he actually later coached that University of California. And they nicknamed him Roy Wrong Way Regals. He was known as 
wrong way. And maybe you feel like that. It's interesting, after he finished coaching, he went into made a career out of motivational speaking, and he just used that one story, talked about how you could get back up from failure. Maybe you've been labeled the wrong way, and God says, rise up. And then he says, sit in throne. This may be my favorite part of this word of God, sit in throne. Don't be ruled by a throne unless it's the throne of God. Sit on a throne in a position of authority and power. God was restoring their sense of authority. Did you know that God created us to rule, not to be ruled? Now, the animal kingdom is created to be ruled. God teaches us to take care of the animal kingdom. But humanity is created by God to rule not to be ruled. I want you to listen to God's first word about humanity in Genesis and the beautiful creation story, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, in every living creature that moves on the face of the ground. That is the most liberating promise and direction of God for a person's life. Every day, you and I are called by God to multiply, to increase, to fill, to subdue, and to rule. And the greatest form of government is not democracy, as great as it is. The greatest form of government is self-government. When you take charge of your life and govern your life under the will of God, you will rise up and sit enthroned. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know that they had spiritual authority. The word authority means the right to rule. In Luke 10 and 19, he said, Behold, I give you authority. Jesus gives you authority. And many people will control you in your life. They'll tell you what you should think and how you should feel and what you should say. But you've got to rise up and sit enthroned in your own life. You've got to start thinking for yourself, deciding for yourself, not feeling as a victim or feeling that you're under the control or oppression of anyone. You are not. God created you to rule and to reign. And the way you do that is to take charge of your own life. You are free today to think for yourself, to decide for yourself, and to act for yourself. It's interesting that one of the promises of Jesus to us in Revelation 3 and 21, he says, to those who overcome, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Think of that the right to sit with Christ on a throne, to take charge of your life, to make your own decisions, to set your own course. And then he says, free yourself. This is a powerful word of God to us. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. If you're going to be a winner in life, you have to free yourself from the chains on your neck. Now, no person puts a chain on their own neck. 
A chain is a form of bondage that somebody else puts on you. And there are many people in this world that love to put chains on people. They like to manipulate. They like to be in control. And a chain was put on those Hebrews by the king of Babylon. In fact, the last king they had before that city collapsed was Zedekiah, one of David's descendants, the last king of Judah, before that war ended. And it said specifically that the Babylonians took Zedekiah in chains and carried him back to Babylon. And God says, free yourself from the chains on your neck. It may be the chain of dysfunctional relationships. It may be the chain of substance abuse. It may be the change of groupthink, which is destroying young people today. It may be the chain of repressed anger. It may be the chain of bad habits. You say, well, I don't have the power to free myself. Yes, you do. And that's why God says, you free yourself. You take the chain off your neck and realize that what you're dealing with is a chain. And you have the power in Jesus' name to take it off your neck. And it's on the neck because it controls the movement of a person. There's only one thing that should be around the neck of a Christian, and that is the yoke of Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, Matthew eleven twenty eight. He was a carpenter. Some think that reason I used the analogy of a, of a yoke that oxen use is because he was a carpenter. Maybe they made yoke in his father's carpenter shop. And that yoke you put around the neck of two oxen, one a lead oxen and the other, the young one learns to follow. But notice Jesus doesn't put it on you. He says, you on your own, take my yoke upon you. Even Jesus doesn't force you to follow. There are many religions that want to force people to follow their religion. The Christian faith is a faith of liberty. You choose Christ. He's already chosen you. The Christian faith doesn't move as a movement to force people, as some religions do. You see, Jesus' gospel is a gospel of liberty to set people free. In John 8 and 36, he said, if the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. Romans 6 and 7 says, anyone who's died with Christ, that means identified with his crucifixion, has been set free from sin. Romans 6 and 14 says... Sin will no longer be your master, for you're not under law, but under grace. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, He sets us free. But then you and I have to use that freedom, live that freedom, walk in that freedom. When you see yourself as free, then you'll be able to free yourself. If you feel that you're a victim, if you feel like you don't have power, if you feel like you don't have a choice, you won't take that chain off. But if you realize greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world and that Jesus has set you free, then you'll use your freedom. And that's what Paul means in Galatians 5 and 1. I want you to listen carefully to this. He said, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. The reason Jesus freed you by his cross and his resurrection is so you can live free. Stand firm then. And don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage, and you can take that chain off your neck today 
in Jesus' name. Say, I'm tired of wearing this chain. I don't care who's put it on me. I'm taking it off in Jesus' name. I am free, and I'm going to live free. In 1776, the 56 delegates of the Second Continental Congress signed the Declaration of Independence. In 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Slavery's over. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God died on the cross for the sins of the world to free us and said, it is finished. And today, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, you and I can take that chain off our necks and we can set ourselves free. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.